Welcome to today's podcast on social networking management for a business. My name is Sam Holland. I'm the curriculum developer for all the marketing courses delivered by ACT Training. This podcast is covering Unit 303 of the Social Media for Business qualification at Level 3. So let's jump right in. So by the end of this podcast and by the end of the workshop, you should have a number of skills that you've developed. So you should be able to evaluate external social networking tools for a business. You should be able to understand how to classify the social networking audience of a business. Uh, You should be able to use social media management tools in relation to social networking. And you should be able to carry out a risk analysis and create a digital crisis management plan in relation to social networking for a business. So for, for your business, you should be able to understand how to approach social networking for your business, how to interact with your audience and increase engagement, Uh, You should understand the need for risk analysis and how to be prepared for a digital crisis. You should understand how to track and monitor your social media usage and gain confidence in your social media marketing activities. And overall, you should be completely prepared to complete the assignment for Unit 303. So to kick things off, we're looking today at social networking. So it's important to note here that in the context of this course, social networking and social media are different things. Social media is referring to any sort of digital marketing tools or channels, things like blogging, video channels, anything like that. Uh, Whereas social networking is referring to your more social networking sites. So your things like Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all of these sorts of things are considered social networking sites. So a definition of that could be, here's one from Google Dictionary. Social networking is the use of dedicated websites and applications to interact with other users or to find people with similar interests to one's own. So, whereas social media encompasses the creation of content and the use of external digital marketing tools and channels, social networking refers specifically to websites or applications that allow users to interact with other like-minded users. So in the workshop, we went through an array of different social networking tools and channels, and we looked at what they are, how they're used, and how they can sort of be described. Uh, We went through a a number of different ones, so you've got your big three, you've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but we also looked at things like Snapchat, Reddit, YouTube even, LinkedIn, uh, some older ones like Ask.fm and Google+. But we also looked at some international ones. So we looked at, uh, excuse me if I say this wrong, Vkontakte, which is the, the Russian social network. That's a top social network in Russia. Uh, we also looked at Qzone, which is a top, top social network in China. So after we went through these and sort of classified them, we started to look in a bit more depth at the features, functions, and limitations of these different tools. Um, so some of the features that we could look at for, for some social networks, uh, the ability to create profiles, the ability to add friends, to interact with friends, uh, to upload photos, interact with brands, uh, comment and vote on interactions, you know, like and share, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, you can follow brands, you can add tags, uh, you can set privacy settings, which is a big one. Uh, as far as the functions go, there's things like uh, is it is it used formally? Is it used informally? Uh, what are the what's the expected media type for the, for these different social networks? So this is something that you're going to need to have a think about uh, in terms of the assignment because you will be asked to talk about the features and functions of some different tools and channels that you will have chosen. Um, you will also be asked to look at limitations. So limitations could be things like where the communication is restricted to the network, so you can't you know, uh, speak to other users on other social networks from this particular social network. Uh, There's things like uh, privacy limitations, you know, so obviously Facebook has a lot of privacy settings that you can really make your own, whereas 
Instagram is sort of public or not public. Um, the the limitations maybe maybe some of them are looked at more as a personal tool uh, than a than a business tool. So maybe it's it's not worth using as a as a business profile so much. Uh, integration with other tools is another limitation. Obviously, uh, you know, if certain tools don't integrate well with other social media tools, so you know, maybe maybe it's difficult to, for instance, link to your blog on your Instagram channels. Uh, you know, you have to provide the link in the profile rather than the post. So that that's a couple of limitations there. Um, privacy, I suppose, is the big one, but also you could consider time management. You know, a, a lot of these uh, social networks are looked at as just time dumps. You know, it's, it, it can be very easy to just lose yourself, uh, especially as a social media marketer. It can be very easy to lose yourself and realize that what you've been doing on social media has not been worthwhile um, because these tools are sort of designed to keep you there and keep you using it. So the other thing that we looked at in terms of these tools and channels was demographics. Uh, so obviously the the big three there, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Facebook is by far the, the largest. So 2.072 billion monthly users uh, across the world, 33.2 million UK users, as opposed to Twitter, which has 330 million global monthly users and 14.3 million UK users. Uh, I think it's interesting to look at the, the demographics in terms of gender here as well. So whereas... Um, you know, Facebook and Twitter are quite evenly matched, although they're, they're backwards. So Facebook has 53% female to 47% male, whereas Twitter has 53% male to 47% female. On the other hand, you look at Instagram, and that's that's quite a, a big uh, gap there. So females are 68% of Instagram users to 32% of males. So there's some interesting demographics there, which I think you could use in terms of choosing the social media tools and channels that you're going to spend your time on. We looked at the top 15 social networks in 2018, and I think uh, there's some surprises in there, but, you know, Facebook at the top by quite a jump, you know, Facebook's there with 2.1 billion, followed closely by YouTube with 1.9 billion, and then it starts getting, uh, you know, the, the gaps start getting bigger. So Instagram then with 1 billion, Qzone, which was the, the Chinese one with 563 million, followed by Weibo, which is another Chinese one for 376 million, followed then by Twitter at number six with 336 million. So, you know, the, this is something that you can look at to see, right, where are my audience? You know, is it worth me spending all of this time on, you know, LinkedIn with only 106 million? Or am I better off just concentrating on Facebook with 2.1? It's difficult to say because obviously your niche is your niche. So you need to understand where your audience is, which is something we didn't go through in today's session. That's something that you can go back and listen to Unit 301 if you want to think more on that. But it goes to show how important it is to stay informed and in the loop because it's a very fast moving industry. So things change. The The order of the, the top social networks will change dramatically. Uh, for instance, in 2018, Snapchat did not rank in the top 15 social networks I would wager that's probably changed either up or down so in the ever-changing world of social media marketing it's hugely important to stay ahead of the curve in changes to functionality or any technological developments utilizing new technologies or tools or channels early cements your brand as innovators in digital marketing so following industry blogs or magazines will help you to stay in the loop and some social media management tools will do the work for you and develop their own technology in line with the tools or channels that it works through. Uh, this is something that we'll look at in a bit more depth as we go on. 
So now that we've got an idea as to the features, functions, limitations, and demographics of these different social networking tools, we can start to look at how we're going to use them. And there's a couple of ways that, that we could use them here regarding brand ambassadors and influencers. So we looked at those in a bit of depth here. So let's start off with brand ambassadors. Brand ambassadors are people who are employed by a company to promote its products or services. So through this process, the business can promote its brand. Brand ambassadors have the responsibility of engaging with customers, current and potential, through social media platforms to represent the company in the best possible light. They are there to embody the corporate identity in appearance, demeanor, values, and ethics, and exist to act as a human face for the business. We had a nice statistic here of 92% of people trust personal recommendations more than all other forms of marketing. So people trust their friends' opinions over big companies. Like we said in the, in the definition of social networking at the start, these tools are designed for peer-to-peer. -peer. They're, they're not designed for you to interact with brands. That's obviously how they're used, but that's not how they're designed. Customers want to engage with real people, so it follows then that companies need real people to promote their brand. Uh, they need people who are contactable by current and potential customers, and they, you know, it's basically that they're just tired of engaging with multinational, impersonal corporate faces. When buying products, people trust their friends' opinion over that of big companies. So. Again, businesses need real people with the skills to reach out and engage with people through social networking platforms. So some characteristics of a, of a brand ambassador are things like they, they should be commenting positively about a brand. This is, this is how we can recognize a brand ambassador or we can recognize that our brand ambassadors are doing a good job, is that they are consistently commenting positively about a brand. They are enthusiastic about new brand releases they act as advocates for the business and defenders against criticism, and they encourage others to be positive about a brand. These are the benefits of a brand ambassador, and you can see that this is how they're used in order to just increase the, the positive sentiment for that business. So, you know, as a CEO of a company, particularly those in large multinational companies, could be the brand ambassador. Richard Branson is a good example of this. As his face is synonymous with Virgin. He represents his company with a genuine online presence on social media. Uh, the other example that we went through there was Tom from MySpace. He was an early example of this in social media marketing. Just a face for the brand. So what's the role of a brand ambassador then? How do we manage this brand ambassador to make sure that we're getting the most out of them? There's a number of things that we can do here. The first thing is knowledge. So brand ambassadors should be armed with knowledge about the brand and what it represents. They should be included in regular meetings and briefings and given brand guidelines on how the company wants to be portrayed online. They should also have control. They should be trusted to represent themselves in line with the company's values. They should have the freedom to respond to comments online quickly and without need for permission. They should be consistent. Brand ambassadors maintain consistency in branding across all platforms and should be given clear brand guidelines to help them achieve that. They should be putting out regular updates. Brand ambassadors are responsible for regularly updating all of their chosen social networking tools and channels. So if the ambassador writes the company blog, it's important that they keep it updated. As I keep saying in these workshops, a dead channel may make the business seem closed or out of action. It's better to not have the channel at all than have a channel sat there gathering dust because it just looks like you're closed. Uh, they should encourage engagement. Brand ambassadors should encourage their networks to interact with the brand. Positive comments can be amplified for good PR and negative comments can be turned around and acted upon in order for more good PR. This is the role of the brand ambassador. This is the, the main thing that they do is encourage engagement and get their network to speak positively about the brand. 
when that doesn't happen, the brand ambassador is responsible for damage limitation. So the brand ambassador should set up a system where they can track any negative comments, deal with them as quickly as possible, and post comments to limit the damage and hopefully learn from any mistakes. They should also have responsibility to track. The, the brand ambassador should track how the brand is doing online and ensure that the company reputation is not being damaged. They could use tools to do this such as BuzzSumo, Social Mention, Google Alerts, BuzzLogic, there's countless more. I suggest you go away and have a look at all of these different tools and see which ones are going to be useful for you. Finally, the, the role of the, band, the brand ambassador relies on them having personality. The point of them is to be a human face, so they should be likeable and respected by your followers. So we looked at an example of that for JP Morgan, where uh, they used the, the brand ambassador there to paint her and the company in a positive light. Uh, obviously, the, the the video that we looked at was quite an extreme example of a brand ambassador. Uh, gave a lot more insight into her life than, than most probably would, but it's important to note the objectives here were for recruitment as opposed to product marketing or brand awareness. That said, the principles are the same. The viewer should want to work with her. JP Morgan is selling a human face for their corporation in that video. So that's brand ambassadors. On the other side of the coin, we've got influencers. So what is an influencer? An influencer is someone that exerts influence in their particular online community. They're social users who have a large and wide number of connections. They offer, often appear to be extroverted, at least with regard to their online activity, and have multiple interests. They are revered for their active involvement in their communities and often trendsetters. From a business perspective, these are individuals who have influence over potential purchases, as simple as that. Influencer marketing then is, is similar to celebrity endorsements in years gone by. Uh, influencer marketing is expected to be more real and holistic, however, than celebrity endorsements. With celebrity endorsements, we know that that celebrity is being paid to endorse a product. With influencer marketing, we like to think that they're not. Often often they are, uh, but they're not always. A lot, a lot of the time, maybe they're given freebies or giveaways, but still paying them in a way as, as, far, as, as far as I'm concerned. But sometimes you get particularly in your niche markets you get influencers who just want to promote good products or good services to their network because it helps them boost their own profile and their own brand influencers should have proven expertise and they should have their own brand that is trusted by their followers uh, they should match your business's niche and they can be encouraged or paid to promote your brand to their followers Influencer marketing is hugely targeted and often sees a large return on investment if you've chosen your influencer correctly. The reason for this is that the influencer will already have a loyal audience for you to harness, so they're a captive audience, it's very, very targeted. We looked at an example of, uh, excuse me if I say this wrong, but Diageo, which is the, the parent company of a Scottish whiskey brand called Lagavulin and Oban. I must be saying those wrong, excuse me. Uh, but they used uh, an actor, Nick Offerman, who was famous for playing the role Ron Swanson in the US TV show Parks and Recreation. Uh, Ron Swanson, the character, is the epitome of the American man's man, and as a result, Nick Offerman has created his online brand around the concept of manliness. So in the, the video that we looked at, Offerman sat near a crackling fireplace, not saying a word, occasionally sipping his whiskey and making satisfied grunts. Um, it's a 44-minute long video, uh, where he sits broodingly looking at the camera. Uh, it was a, a Christmas video, so thanks to the 
simple seasonal premise and Offerman's unique brand, the video was a vi viral hit. It won awards and all sorts. Uh, now, obviously, the the message here that they're trying to portray is that the product speaks for itself. Uh, you know, you, you you don't need the guy who plays Ron Swanson to tell you how good this whiskey is. Look at his face. The product speaks for itself. In reality, what this is is a clever use of influencer marketing, harnessing an appropriate brand with which to associate their product, the whiskey. So. How do we ensure credibility when we're choosing our influencers and brand ambassadors? With brand ambassadors, we can look at them to see that their information stream contains regular brand mentions, that they're consistently talking about that specific brand. We can also see that they're active in relevant online communities and that other social media users relate positively and engage with them. So it's not just selling, it's not just sell, sell, sell. They're engaging in that community. Uh, another way that we can ensure credibility in the brand ambassador is by looking at the sentiment of the brand. The sentiment about the brand should be consistently high from that brand ambassador and from any referrals. Speaking of which, this is the, the best way of ensuring credibility in brand ambassadors is that the business will receive regular referrals from the brand ambassador. We can see financial gain from this brand ambassador's activities. Influencers, on the other hand, we can ensure credibility in influencers by checking Google to see if other online articles refer to them. Uh, other online articles should refer to influencers in order to ensure that they have the reach that they claim to have. Uh, the influencers should always be objective and balanced about a brand. So the influencer shouldn't be afraid to say, you know, this is better than the last product, which fell short a little bit because of this. Whereas the brand ambassador might not go that way. They might not talk about, you know, previous products not quite hitting the mark. They're just talking about the good stuff. Influencers will talk balancedly about a brand. Uh, another way of ensuring credibility in influencers is that they should be well known in their industry or profession. They have a large number of followers on the relevant social networks to your niche. They're also credible and knowledgeable about industry trends and developments. So we then looked at uh, a video on how influencer marketing works. Um, the video sort of said that influencer marketing is a, you know it's a very good way of, of putting your message across it's a very holistic looking way of putting your message across um, they gave the example of um, a dress being sold through Instagram influencers and you know we, we've all seen the success using influencer marketing we've seen it happen with the the Kardashians and all these other Instagram models um, but it's worth pointing out that the bubble seems to be beginning to burst here uh, influencer is becoming a bit of a dirty word at the moment, um, particularly with you know the fallout from things like Fire Festival and so on. Um, influencers may not have the the clout that they once did. That being said, while consumers are getting more savvy to influencer marketing, influencers and brands are also growing more savvy in harvesting trust and loyalty from their followers. Influencer marketing is a tried and tested way of promoting a brand and is largely pretty successful. Brand ambassadors exist to put a human face on a business, making it easier and more desirable to interact with online. So once your ambassadors have been chosen and your influencers have been found, you'll need to consider how they'll be managed in order to make the most out of your relationship. So there's a number of different things that we can do to, to manage influencers and brand ambassadors. So with brand ambassadors, you might give them access to early privileged information, or you might give them the opportunity to beta test a new product. With influencers, maybe you're more professional, maybe you're inviting them to participate in brand update meetings. 
you can incentivize uh, influencers and brand ambassadors by things like giving them exclusive content or exclusive products or inclus- exclusive services. Things like unboxing on, on YouTube is, you know, a, a really good way of pushing out a product and showing genuine enthusiasm from that influencer, or supposedly genuine enthusiasm from that influencer. Um, maybe you can give them coupon codes or giveaways for them to put out to their followers. So rather than paying the influencer, uh, you're giving them valuable content that they can share to their own network to help reinforce their own brand. And that, that's a, a good way of incentivizing influencers without having to spend a load of money. You might also give them insider info. You might give them tours around your site, your business site. There's a number of different ways. And really, it's, it's, a, it's an exercise in thinking outside the box. It's, you know, what, what does this influencer want? What can I give them to encourage them to post or shout about my brand, whatever it is? So moving on from influencer and uh, brand ambassador marketing, we then looked at social media management tools. So obviously social media can be a very time-consuming process, but when used correctly, it can garner massive returns to businesses. Uh, social media management tools exist to simplify the process of social media marketing and to give the marketer more means of targeting their messages appropriately. This can be done either by publishing content, monitoring activities, connecting multiple profiles, grouping audiences, listening for trends, scheduling posts for peak times, or getting highly segmented analytics information. Uh, these tools have many different uses and they can range widely in cost as a result. So some of the functions and uses of these social media management tools, as we said, they can schedule posts. Uh, we can schedule posts for peak time so that we don't always have to be online to post when we know that our audience is online. Um, oftentimes the audience comes online just as you finish work uh, because they're finishing work at the same time. So. Sometimes it's not feasible to just be online and live tweeting or live posting. Uh, these social media management tools allow you to schedule those posts for future. Um, they also allow you to connect numerous accounts, uh, make, meaning that you can have one interface where you can post through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, through whatever you want. They'll provide analytics, um, which there's pros and cons to that as we'll go through, but they can give you analytical information. They'll allow you to group audiences, which is a really useful one, particularly if you're marketing in different areas or to different demographics. You know, you, you might have a group for 18 to 30s, so or you might have a group for, you know, 30 and over. You might have a group for male users, female users. You might have a group for, for geographical locations, you know. Um, so that's a really useful part of these social media management tools. Another one is setting up autoresponders. Again, you know, smaller companies often will not be able to offer 24 seven social media support. So an autoresponder is something that allows you to get back to that query very quickly, even if only to say, we'll get back to you when we're next in the office at this time. Uh, it at least gives the, the user peace of mind that their query has been received and that they will be dealt with so that they're not sat in the dark waiting for a response. Um, these tools can often generate alerts so they can alert you as to when your brand is being mentioned. Uh, they can help you organize your work streams, again, to have it all in one place off one dashboard. They can help you to monitor keywords or brand mentions or sentiment. Um, that said, there are some disadvantages and restrictions to using these tools. Uh, the first one is automated posts can often seem quite spammy, um, you know, the, particularly on Facebook. Uh, if, you're, if you're posting from somewhere other than Facebook, 
it'll show that to the user. So, it, you know, you, an automated post there can can seem like it's a robot on the other end of the screen, which obviously is a big no-no for, for social networking. Uh, another disadvantage here is that some platforms will attribute lower value to posts through these tools, meaning that they'll result in less exposure. Again, going back to Facebook, Facebook uh, does not like it when you post through Facebook from somewhere else. Less people will see that post as a result because it has not come through Facebook. Um, for whatever reason, they don't like it. And I guess, you know, just because they want people using their tool, you know, they, they want Facebook to be the one-stop shop. Uh, so they, they don't like you using that so often give you less exposure. The analytics tool can, tools for these uh, social media management tools can be very difficult to use. Um, particularly when you're using multiple different channels through this one tool, it can be very difficult to, to get good analytical information. Uh, my advice here is to, as much as you can, use the individual analytics information from the social networking sites. But obviously each to their own, have a play around with them and see what you think. Um, it's just to, to forewarn you really that the analytics tools can be very difficult to use on these social media management tools. Uh, another one here is that the automated sentiment analysis tools are not always accurate. It can be difficult for these social networking management tools to understand nuances, things like humor and sarcasm and irony. Um, so, you know, the the sentiment analysis tools, uh, by, by their very nature, are very difficult to, to get correct. Uh, so they, they will require human intervention. Finally, these tools come at a cost. Um, a lot of the time there will be free versions or freemium versions, um, but generally speaking, if you want to use them for their full functionality, they're gonna come at a cost. Um, so we looked at a few different ones here. The, the one that we spent the time on was TweetDeck, um, but on top of that, there are things like Hootsuite and Buffer uh, that are very good tools that allow you to look, uh, allow you to use different channels all in the same place. TweetDeck is all for Twitter, but if you're using multiple Twitter accounts or you're getting a lot from Twitter, it's a very good one to use. TweetDeck is now actually owned and integrated directly into Twitter, uh, which makes it a fantastic tool for this channel, but as we said, not much use for anyone who doesn't use Twitter. Uh, most of the other tools that we've been through are costly or at least freemium. Uh, Buffer does give a decent platform for up to three different tools for free. Uh, which is often more than enough for a small business. You know, you, you can use Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and manage it all from Buffer which for free, which is a, a, a good good option, in my opinion. The As we've said, the analytics information is often limited on the free tools, particularly, meaning that unless you pay a monthly subscription, you're often stuck with using basic analytics or the analytics on the social networking channel itself. So it's worth looking at these and considering your marketing budget and if it's worthwhile. If your business is serious about social media marketing and is seeing large return on investments on your activities, then these social media management tools can be invaluable when juggling multiple accounts. However, you're gonna to need to do your own research as to which tool is most suitable and cost-effective for the specific needs of your business. We did a bunch of different things that are gonna come up in the in the assignment on, on TweetDeck. We made a list of influencers uh, for for our industries. We made a column with a user showing the feed of one of the top competitors, and we put together a collection of tweets that are relevant to the to your business that you could share or schedule for later. So, 
before you sit the assignment, it might be worth you just having a play around with TweetDeck and just re-familiarizing yourself with it and understanding the benefits of the different options and the different functions that it gives. So moving on from uh, social networking management tools, we're going to look at a couple of different ways that we can use social networking well and use it with best practice in mind. The first thing that we looked at was sharing. So sharing content, social media management tools can help you source, compile, schedule and share content relevant to your business. Most content shared on social media has been created by someone else and shared as relevant to that brand or individual. So sharing other people's content helps a business develop a mutually rewarding relationship with other businesses, notably non-competitors, but also social influencers. Obviously, it's very important to create your own content, and that's a big part of the social media marketing role. However, sharing content by other people is expected and also valued by your followers. It's something that they will expect you to do, and you won't be thought of as lesser for sharing someone else's content, as long as it's good quality content. Another thing that you can use here is short URLs. Short URLs are particularly useful when using channels like Twitter that have character restrictions. Uh, they also have a positive impact on SEO and provide their own analytics information. Users are more likely to click on a short URL that is, than, that is descriptive than a long link to an unknown website location. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to this. So, you know, having a, a short URL that's bit.ly slash x8942bf doesn't tell you where you're going and that might stop people from clicking that. But if it's, you know, tinyurl.com slash ACT training, then, you know, that's going to, that gives you an indication as to what you're walking into. Obviously, it doesn't really shorten the link at all, but, you know, you, you see where I'm coming from. There's, there's pros and cons to using these things. You have to be clever about using them. Another useful tool in our wheelhouse here is hashtags. Hashtags help brands increase amplification and engagement. So much like tags in search engine optimization, hashtags allow social media users to tag their posts to make them easy to find by people searching for relevant information. Brands use hashtags to increase amplification and engagement with their followers, which they do by encouraging their followers to post on social media using their hashtag. This benefits a brand by helping to create a community discussion on a topic, uh, by identifying users that are aware or supportive of their brand, uh, it helps them by allowing your content to appear to a wider audience with a trending hashtag. Uh, they also allow the brand to easily engage with users that might not already be followers and receive more analytics information about a wider range of audience than just your followers. You can get analytics information on purely hashtags as well, uh, which is, there's, a, there's a number of different tools that you can look at. Finally, with hashtags, they allow a wider range of people to talk about your brand and obviously this can help you measure and monitor your marketing activities outside of your little network. Hashtags will allow you to reach a much wider audience if you're using them properly. Another function of these social networking management tools is that they are able to monitor your activity and that of other users. So these tools can measure and monitor activity by listening to conversations and monitoring trends or sentiment, which can then be used to inform your marketing. So these tools can be used to identify trends in order to accommodate the customer better. They can be used to reach customers who have feedback about the brand, uh, identify changes in sentiment. Um, these monitoring tools can scan all popular social media networks and group people to manage the, the people that you follow. 
They can be used to identify influencers and brand ambassadors and to listen for mentions of the brand or mentions of keywords. So measuring and monitoring is, is a real big one for reasons for using these social networking tools. Again, there are limitations. So the, the measuring and monitoring of these social networking management tools are often not 100% accurate. The, the reason for that is that they're not able to view private posts that, that haven't been set as public, obviously direct messages and things like that as well. Uh, as we've said, it's difficult to capture nuances such as ironic comments, sarcasm or humour, um, so it's, it's difficult to say in terms of sentiment. Um, they can't penetrate secured conversations, as we've said. The, the search string must be very accurate to capture all the relevant data. So you, you, you know, you, you've got to be very, very accurate in asking what you're asking to these social networking management tools. Otherwise, you're either going to miss data or you're going to get incorrect data. Um, a large amount of data returned is often very difficult to analyze effectively. Human intervention is required to check these tools are giving you correct information, which can often make it just more time consuming than simply using the tools themselves. Uh, they can be difficult to use geographic filters and not all of the social networking sites are available on these tools. You know, you in on Buffer, you might be able to access Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, but you're not going to be able to access Snapchat or Qzone or any of these ones. So that's that on social networking management tools. We moved on then to look at risk analysis and crisis management. So this is a real big part of, of the social media marketer's role uh, because there are a lot of risks involved for the for the business in, in terms of any external communication, there are risks involved. So, so first of all, what is risk analysis? We could say that risk analysis is a technique to identify and assess factors that may jeopardize the success of a project or achieving a goal. So obviously, as we've said, that's very important in the context of social media. The function of a risk analysis then is to identify and assess the risk, assess the reward, and make an informed decision on how worthwhile your endeavor is. So it ascertains whether enough resources are in place to carry out your marketing activities. Uh, it calculates a cost-benefit analysis for carrying out activity versus not carrying out the activity. Uh, it assesses whether changes in practice are needed. And again, a risk analysis should be considered before any marketing activities uh, come close to going live. So we gave an example of a risk analysis and it had a nice um, equation there. So the risk equals the severity multiplied by the likelihood. So each of these, the severity and the likelihood were ranked from one to five and we were able to just multiply them. Is it How, how severe is it gonna be? There's a slight severity, but it's a, a, a likely uh, chance that this risk is gonna occur. Uh, that would be two times four equals eight, which keeps it as a, a low to medium risk. So that's something that I'd like you to sort of refamiliarize yourselves with a little bit. That's not something that you're gonna need to go through in the assignment, but I think it's something that's useful for you to have when planning marketing activities. Uh, we went through the, the risk analysis document, and what we did was identify the risk, identify the, the level of risk by multiplying the severity and the likelihood. We then talked about what we can do to mitigate these risks, uh, any contingency plans that we could put in place, any uh, you know preemptive training or uh, any anything that we could do to make the risk that little bit lower in terms of severity or likelihood, uh, which would then change the equation slightly to hopefully bring it down to a lower number. So that's the the idea of the of the risk analysis. Obviously, understanding the risks allows us to understand what measures need to be taken in order to avoid them or to counter them. It also allows us to weigh the risk against the reward. And 
from a from a marketing standpoint, there's there's sort of four things that we can look at here. They're they're low risk and low reward, high risk and low reward, low risk and high reward, and high risk and high reward. Obviously, low risk and high reward is the most valuable to marketers and what we all strive for. In reality, most of our activities are going to be somewhere in the middle of all of these things. But again, I think it's just worth you think keeping that in mind, the relationship between risk and reward, the relationship in risk between severity and likelihood, and just being able to use these ideas and to have a vague understanding of how you could use them in your business, in your marketing activities. So with that in mind, how and why should we monitor risks? So we can use monitoring tools such as TweetDeck or Google Alerts. Uh, Google Alerts is something that we didn't really go through too much in the in the workshop, but it's, uh, it's a tool provided by Google for free that allows you to type in keywords and it will email you then as soon as they appear on the internet or on social media. Um, very, very useful tool and you, you can set it up as a, as a daily digest or you can set it up for to the minute notifications of mentions. Uh, those immediate notifications of mentions are very, very useful when it comes to risk management and crisis management. So some tools can also monitor your sentiment and notify you of any sentiment changes. Uh, again, always take these with a pinch of salt, but that, that is a functionality of these tools. Um, essentially, they can just allow you to react quickly to any potential risks and just avoid them snowballing into a crisis. However, in case the worst happens, it is important to have a digital crisis plan in place. Now, I think it's fair to say that social media has completely changed the game of how a crisis is managed. In the workshop, we watched a, a video where a gentleman explained uh, how crisis management used to take place prior to social media and how that has changed and how dramatically that has changed since social media and, and certainly since smartphones in particular have become so prominent. If your brand can reach their audience with marketing at any time, then the, the audience expects the same from you. In a crisis, this goes double, maybe triple. Brands are expected to communicate through social media channels quickly, regularly, and honestly. So it's therefore good practice to have a digital crisis plan in place for when a crisis might occur. Obviously, as the, the, the video that we watched said, how it used to happen is a crisis would occur, the organization involved in that crisis then would draft a PR statement and put it out to the, to the press who would then communicate that to the public. How that has changed now is that a crisis occurs Anyone with a smartphone can report that instantly on social media. There's a danger that that post goes viral then and goes around before the organization has a chance to even think about this crisis. It may be that the, the, the organization even hears about the crisis from social media rather than from internally. So therefore press are always playing catch up and us as digital crisis managers are always playing catch up. So it's important to have that in mind and to make sure that we've got a good plan in place for a digital crisis as and when it occurs. So when we're coming up with our digital crisis plan, what should we include? We're gonna run through this in uh, in a few brief steps here. So the first things first, we need to employ a crisis management team. Whether that's external or in-house, it's gonna be beneficial for you to have certain people responsible for managing a crisis. They know that they're responsible for this crisis and they can jump right into the plan as soon as it occurs. That way that any, any crisis can be much easier managed and analyzed then because the crisis management team are in place. We need to ensure that there are clear steps and procedures for managing any crisis and learning from them, which we'll, we'll go through those those steps and procedures in a little bit more depth shortly. Uh, the digital crisis plan should also include a search and monitoring schedule. So businesses need to regularly monitor their brand and note that schedules change before and after any crisis. If a crisis occurs, then 
post-crisis monitoring should be much, much, much more frequent. There should be guidelines to uh, open and honest communication. Uh, the digital crisis team or the social media marketers need to engage in conversations where the company or brand is mentioned, or even in conversations that are relevant just to the company's industry. We need to invite people to join in these conversations, and then we need to have these conversations openly and honestly in order to harvest that goodwill so that if a crisis does come into place, then people know to expect open and honest communication from our brand. We need to be prepared to give immediate responses to any comments, particularly the negative ones. Uh, a company's obviously always quite happy for co positive comments to spread around the internet, but nobody wants the negative ones to grow and be seen by millions of users. An immediate response will mitigate that risk slightly. If you're, if you're in place, you know that you need to give an immediate response. You, as soon as you identify this negative comment, then you respond openly and honestly. Uh, then this is going to potentially stop it from going viral so quickly. There needs to be guidelines in place on how to take action. So when rectifying a complaint, you need to ensure that you carry out what you're going to say you're going to do and ensure that this is clearly shown on your company's website or social media. Crisis management, again, is not just about monitoring and responding to complaints. It's about taking action and then proving that you've taken that action. So next, we need to remain consistent across the board. So this means that everyone is treated the same. So your message might not always be exactly the same, but its tone should be. Uh, you must be open and honest, but always polite, even in the face of disparaging remarks by a misguided user. Uh, education. Education is a big one here for to include in your crisis management plan. You need to ensure that all staff members outside of the crisis management team are fully aware of the risk of social media and what to do when they view negative comments about the company, the brand or the employees. Uh, they, you know, in traditionally there would be uh, a statement around the the business in the event of a crisis. Nobody talked to the press. Well, in a digital crisis, it should be guidance on how people should behave on social media in the event of a crisis, particularly if they're if they're posting publicly. Uh, finally, the 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 last thing here that you should include in your digital crisis plan is present is preventative measures. So rather than waiting for a crisis to happen, you need to consider ways to prevent them. So such as social influencer campaigns or strengthening relationships with customers. So with your crisis plan in place, what do you do? What are the steps that you need to take in the event of a crisis? What should you be doing? So I've got a rough outline here of how your digital crisis sh should be managed. Um, Obviously, each crisis is going to be different, so this is just a, a vague example, really, uh, of, a, of a social media crisis with no context. So take this with a pinch of salt and, and play with it. Use it for yourself. See, see what works for you. So I've got a 15-step plan. You ready? Step one, establish the facts. So it's obviously very important to establish the facts. In the example of um, the, the Yahtzee Pizza one that we went through in the workshop, uh, first things first, are we sure that this is one of our one of our locations? Are we sure that this is our staff who are performing this way? Are you sure about the information that is spreading on social media? That's the bottom line. And if you're not, make sure that you are before you start posting or before you start dealing with this crisis. Step two, draft a media statement. So first things first, you're acknowledging that something's going on to the media. You're not necessarily uh, uh, admitting fault you are acknowledging that something is going on and it's being dealt with. That's your very, very first media statement. Number three then is brief stakeholders. So that goes for employees and staff. That goes for uh, potentially even high profile customers, uh, suppliers, um, and anyone that, that you feel should know about this crisis before they learn from it on social media or on the press, 
this is the time to do that. As, as early as you can, you start briefing stakeholders, right, these are the facts, this is what we've said to the media, this is what we're planning on doing it, uh, you know, this is what we would like you to do. So, you know, this is the, the education. Make sure that if you're posting on social media, then, you know, you're staying within the guidelines. Point four is monitor social media and you need to set up a monitoring schedule. You need to have your Google Alerts set up and maybe amend the keywords with the specific crisis in mind. Um, point five, then you need to update your draft media statement with any new info. And that's obviously something that you're going to be doing along along the way. But you still haven't sent this uh, sent this media statement out yet. You're, you've, you've told them that you're aware of it, but you haven't given them any information. So you're, you're waiting until you've got your full plan together. Point six, compile images or footage that is useful to the media, anything that can mitigate this this crisis, uh, any evidence to the contrary or anything that shows that this isn't regular practice, any, anything like that, that that you feel is going to be useful to the media here. Point seven is to convene a team meeting and set a final plan. So you've got all the information, you've got an idea of what how you're going to speak to the, to the media, you've got an idea of how, how you're going to deal with the crisis. Um, Point seven here, now you're setting out your final plan. Point eight, you're preparing your final statement. Point nine, you are going to brief staff on code of conduct on social media and with the press. So this is where, you know, maybe maybe first of all, you're, you're just saying, right, radio silence, guys. Point nine now, you're saying, this is how you perform on social media and with the press. These are the things that you can say. These are the things that you can't say. Point ten is engage with the media. So point 10 now is the time where you're giving the, the media the information that you would like them to have. Um, obviously, again, very important to not have radio silence up until this point, and the sooner that you get to point 10, the better. But now is the time where you're giving them official statements and quotes even. Point 11 then, so at the same time you're engaging with the media, you are starting to post your statement on social media with details on what actions are going to be taken in regards to this crisis. So, you know, the, the, the appropriate staff members will be dealt with or you know, the practices have been identified and are now going to change. Um, point 12 then is to take those actions. So now you need to evidence that. So you've posted on social media, you've engaged with the, with the press, you've told them what actions you're going to take. Number 12, you take those actions and you evidence it. In number 13, then you keep your audience informed on social media. You make sure that they are aware of the actions that you're taking and this is an exercise in trying to harvest some goodwill. Look, we know that it all went bad a minute ago, but we're trying to pull it back. We're doing our best, you know. Um, this this is a way of, of harvesting goodwill from your audience on social media. Uh, number 14, then, keep press contacts informed. So now we're into ongoing uh, with, you know, you're keeping the audience informed on social media. Number 14, you're keeping your press contacts informed. You're just letting everybody know of any developments in this story, particularly any positive ones, obviously. And finally, point 15, now, draft positive PR spins on how the crisis was managed for social media. So now you're making your own story. You are telling uh, the public, either on the press or on social media, you're telling everyone how you dealt with it, how it was successful, and what you're doing now in the future to make sure that these digital crises don't happen again. So that's about all I've got for you uh, as far as information for the assignment goes. Um, with the assignment now, it's it's uh, it's the longest one of the the four compulsories here. Now it's a whopping four and a half hours long, so there's plenty of time to get it done. There is a lot to do, so take your time with it. Uh, try not to panic. Try not to to worry too much. Um, 
the the way that it's laid out is it's in three tasks so you've got three parts to it the first part is short answer questions so uh with these you, we're we're looking for relatively short answers here um keep an eye out for the verbs you know you you're going to have um the, the the very first word of each question is going to be things like uh, define identify describe explain or evaluate they they're the main ones that you're likely to come across um you might have compare and contrast as well but keep an eye out for them um you will have been provided a glossary uh, if not feel free to ask your your assessor for for more information on each of these verbs but you know what i always recommend with these is look at the amount of marks that are being given for each one that's a good indicator of how much information you need to give um it's also worth looking at because the the assignment paper is laid out as though you would handwrite it so maybe look at how many lines are there as well because that's that's another indicator as to how much detail you need to give for each of these questions so again that that's the the short answer questions which does take up quite a bulk of the of the assess of the assessment task b then and task c are reports so the first thing that it does for these tasks is to give you a scenario um but it does give you the option of completing the tasks on a business of your choice. So I would suggest doing these, task B and task C, I would suggest doing them on your business. Um, firstly, because that's gonna be more useful for you. It's gonna be a hopefully a useful exercise for you. But secondly, you're gonna know that information. That said, maybe have a little look at the information in the scenario as well, uh, particularly if you're struggling to understand uh, what is expected of you from the things that it's asking you to do in the report because obviously it is possible for you to do it fully on the scenario given. So the information that's in the scenario, uh, if you can think of uh, corresponding information relating to your business, then you should be in a good place to, to complete this quite easily. Um, in the, these last two tasks, you are gonna have to use social media management tools or social networking management tools. So feel free to use any that you're familiar with. Obviously in the workshop, we will have went through TweetDeck, um, but feel free to use any that you're familiar with. Read through the criteria and what you're being asked to do and use whatever you feel is gonna be best. Um, and that's that's about it from me. So with that in mind, best of luck with the assignment. I'm sure you'll all do great. Uh, Poor bloch, uh, die Wahl.